You are listening to the Island Christian Church of Holbrook podcast. This message is the second part of the series called Timeless Truth. Today's message, given on February 4th, 2018, is titled Context Counts. Quite frankly, I would say communication has changed. People used to sit and listen to long speeches and lectures, and now everything has to be done in 140 characters, right? You know, and listen, I'm glad we have tools like that. I'm glad tweets are great for some things like, hey, I just found this really great burger place. It's awesome. Check it out. You know, I mean, that, that's a good use for a tweet, right? Anyone else have a good use for a tweet? Just shout anything out. Birthdays. Birthdays. Yeah. Happy birthday. Right. What else? What else? Oh, somebody doesn't know how to tweet. Okay. All right. Well, we, we won't touch that one. But, but, but. You're not alone. Uh, is the floor still open? Yeah, yeah. Uh, an opportunity to uh, remain in more active contact with loved ones. That's true. That's true. It's just like, a, hey, I'm thinking about you, you know, and that, that's awesome. Yeah. So, so tweets are good for some things, but we, I think we would have a really sorry life if we got all the information that we tried to live our life through 140 character messages. Would you agree with me on that? Sure, sure. And yet, you know, I mean, even powerful people are tweeting now. That's something like we've never seen before. And it's like, what's going on? And one of the problems with this is you can't say that much in just a few words. You can get maybe a core of a nugget, but you can't get the context behind what that is. And the problem we have is today, people think things about God that, quite frankly, God never said. Okay, people have impressions of God. Maybe they've heard something or they've heard some famous person say about God or, um, you know, God never said that. And listen, the Bible is not a collection of tweets. It is not. But What happens is sometimes people interpret the Bible like it is. And we are doing a series right now called Timeless Truth. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to just pass on some of the understanding that I have used through the years. Some of it I've been taught. Some of it I've been sort of adopted. But right now there's a big trend in the popularity of do-it-yourself shows, you know, home shows, cooking shows. Everybody wants to know, how how do you do it? I mean, you know, even little things like um, our washer broke. And so where did I go to find out how to fix it? YouTube, right? And so there's there's a real trend of trying to get information. And so what I'm trying to do here is kind of give you my kind of a do-it-yourself show of this is what I've learned about how to understand what the Bible says, and then how can it affect our life? How can we understand what God meant by it? Not that we just get a little tweet out of it and we try to build our whole life around that. So that's what we're doing. And, um, you know, the Bible quite often takes gets taken out of context. And today I want to use an example of a favorite verse of mine. When I say it, you know, some of you might even be like, oh, yeah, I've heard that one before. Um, in fact, there's probably going to be some uh, football players that might even have that written down, uh, you know, at least the reference. And the verse is this. It says, I can do all things through Christ 
who strengthens me. Anyone ever heard that? Yeah. Philippians 4.13. Great, great. And it's a great verse. In fact, when, you know, I became a, a follower of Christ when I was in high school. And one of the things that our school let people do, I guess all schools do this, is they let you put a little thing in your yearbook, you know, a couple of sentences. But uh, one of the things that they, you know, this was way before Twitter, but they would give you a limit, like it had to be so many characters. So all the kids figured, hey, I can fit more in if I don't put the spaces in between. So this thing was all just jammed together. And I actually wrote Philippians 4.13 as my senior quote. And, uh, you know, so this is something that means a lot to me. But this verse, quite frankly, has been misused and abused through the years. It's the mantra of people who wish to climb the corporate ladder, the people who want to score that winning touchdown, the people that want to ace that final exam. Um, in fact, a famous Christian televangelist said this. He says, most people tend to magnify their limitations. They focus on their shortcomings. But scripture makes it plain. All things are possible to those who believe. That's right. It's possible to see your dreams fulfilled. It's possible to overcome that obstacle. It's possible to climb to new heights. It's possible to embrace your destiny. You may not know how it will all take place. You may not have a plan, but all you have to know is that if God said you can, you can. And I say, really? I mean, does that square with your reality? I mean, if we're honest... We've lived through stuff that just doesn't sound like what I just said there. You tracking with me on that? Yeah. And so, you know, an another one, uh, another misuse of this verse is, do you want to find that job promotion? Do you want to find your soulmate? Do you want to make your mo more money? No problem. You can accomplish all things through Christ. Well, this and many other poor interpretations come from trying to understand a verse outside of the context with which it was written. And the thought that I want you to take away today is this. To understand the meaning, you need to examine the context. To understand the meaning of God's word, if you take a verse... You have to examine the context because if you don't do that, you're going to build your life and your theology and your understanding of God around a tweet. And it's not it, you're, you're going to be putting words in God's mouth that he never said. Now, <clears throat> just by way of review, um, we did last week um, and this message is online. If you missed it, please go check it out on our website. We talked about a couple of guidelines for understanding the Bible. And we said, first of all, you need to begin with the ordinary meaning of the language. Okay? There's not some secret code in the Bible. It was revealed by God through humans, but it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it's using language. And so it's important that we understand the ordinary language. But then we also said, um, oh, and I'm sorry, we said we want to understand what the plain sense meaning of the words are. The plain sense. And we said when the plain sense makes common sense, seek no other sense. 
Okay, but then we also said sometimes parts of the Bible are written in other forms of language. For instance, poetry, figurative language, prophecy. And for those things, then we need to use a little different technique to understand what God meant by it. But most of the Bible is not those forms. Most of it is just plain, literal language. So we just go ahead and use that. But you do have to identify if it's a different form. And then we said, seek to find the single meaning of the text. We said every piece of scripture has a primary interpretation, okay? But it has many applications. And that's the beauty of it. Because we want to get to that primary interpretation to understand it. And when I prayed, I said, I prayed that the Holy Spirit would illuminate us. And that's so important. We don't just, this is not just a mental exercise, but God gave us the scriptures so that, and he gave us the understanding of them through the Holy Spirit. And so it's so important when we come to try to understand the Bible that we pray and say, God, help me to understand what you've written and then help me to understand how that should apply and how I should I live my life around that? So that's why we talked about there's one primary application, one primary interpretation, but there are many applications. And what's so cool about that is the application for you might be different than the application for you, and that might be different for the application for me. Not that any of them are necessarily right or wrong, but it's applied to the life situation that you are going through right now. Now, I did ask some people, I said, I gave you an assignment last week. I said, if you, um, you know, t- take a scripture and try to figure out what the primary interpretation was. And you got, I got some great emails back. Thank you for doing that. And uh, I've gotten to most that have uh, emailed me, but I, I think one other came in late last night. And I didn't uh, have time this morning to do it, but I'm happy to do that, to kind of help you track along and um, with that. So uh, thank you for doing that. So anyway, let's take a look at today's guideline. Today's guideline, as I said, is to understand the meaning, you need to examine the context. And here's the guideline. The guideline is you want to examine the immediate context. And then you look at the passage as a whole. And then you look at the book as a whole. Okay, so you need to understand what surrounds that portion of scripture you're looking at, and then you look at it in the context. It's almost like you're taking a lens from a camera, a zoom lens, okay? You're zoomed in, and then you zoom out, and then you zoom back in again, okay? So let's take a look at that verse. Turn to Philippians 4.13 in your Bibles, and we're going to use this. I'm going to kind of show you just how, how I interpret this. And uh, let's see what amazing truth God has for us in that verse rather than just a fabrication. And so for this, we need to look back a couple of verses at uh, starting at verse 10. It says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content, know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret 
of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then here's that verse. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. May God bless this reading of his word. Okay. The key, I think, to understanding verse 13 is verse 11. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. You see, I can do all things is set in the context of contentment. And quite frankly, we're constantly being bombarded with messages and images that are designed to make us feel dissatisfied with what we have or who we are. In fact, that's one of the key principles of advertising. You want people to feel dissatisfied with something, and then if you buy this product or service or attend this place, you'll be more satisfied, right? I mean, that's, that's basic advertising 101. And yet, it, this is in contrast to what God is telling us through the Apostle Paul here. Okay, I want to look at the word contentment a little bit. Okay, contentment means feeling sufficient. Okay, in the original language, there's an actually a really interesting um, understanding of this. It essentially means, contentment means needing no imports. Okay, if you're a country and you don't manufacture something, you know, you need to import it from somewhere else. Okay, and essentially what it's saying is it's saying, if you are content, you don't need anything else than what you already have. You don't have to bring something else inside in order to feel that contentment. Okay, now, to, remember I said we want to zoom the lens out and then zoom it back in. In order to understand, that's the immediate context around this verse. The, so the context is contentment. Contentment. But now, let's take a look at the life situation that Paul was in when he wrote this. Just keep your finger in four, chapter 4 and turn back a couple pages to chapter 1. And I want to read three verses in chapter 1 starting at verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has been come known throughout the whole imperial guard, that's the the Roman guard, and to all the rest that my imprisonment, see that word, imprisonment, is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So where was Paul when he wrote this letter? He was in jail, okay? And he's talking about contentment. I don't know about you. If I was in jail, I'd find it pretty hard to be content. Just saying. But it's interesting. The word joy comes many times. In fact, it's mentioned more per paragraph in this book of Philippians than anywhere else in Scripture. Okay? So, the theme of this whole book is joy. Now, let's talk a little bit about... We said sometimes you need to look at the historical setting to understand what was going on. So, let's take a look at the historical setting of the Roman prisons of that day. 
Okay, it was not this, you know, thing like when we think of prisons today. They were pretty nasty. Um, do you know how you got your food? You did not, they did not, you know, give you three square meals a day. It, you relied on your friends and family to bring you food. Okay, in fact, I just saw something the other day. It's like, you know, um, New York State wants to give tablets to all the prisoners. I'm like, really? I don't know. Very different than, you know, what, what this was there. So when you think of a modern prison, I mean, yeah, there were criminals in the modern prison. But the prisoners of the day required provision. And when Paul says the gospel was advanced, do you know why it was probably advanced? Because he was chained to a Roman guard. And so the guard had to spend, and they would change shifts. Think about this. The Apostle Paul having to spend all his time with a guard chained to him. I wonder what they talked about. I have a feeling Paul's attitude and his mannerisms and his outlook in that circumstance and situation probably made more of an impact on those guards than anyone else could have. So just just consider that in the historical setting of it. Okay, now, so perhaps if you're going through a difficult life circumstance, perhaps this is a source of hope for you. I think the primary interpretation of this passage is this. The secret of true contentment is to fully trust God in every situation. The secret of true contentment is to fully trust God in every situation. Because to understand the meaning, you need to examine the context. Okay? So, I think we found the primary interpretation of this passage. Now I want you to think through what are some applications of this? Okay, and I want us to see, I, I've extracted a couple of them. I'm not going to share all of them, but I'm going to share a couple. But I want you to think about what application in your life of perhaps where you're maybe not contented that maybe this will pay, speak to. Okay, and sometimes a, a technique that I like to use is I like to use the technique of opposites. So if something talks about something that's present, I like to look at, well, what if it's missing? What is the opposite of that? And let me explain. So we're going to look at the opposite of what brings contentment here. In other words, I'm going to call these things the contentment killers. These are things that right here and in life, I believe, kills people's contentment. So let's take a look at the passage, and uh, let's look at verse 10. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now, what is this talking about? Well, remember I said that the provision of food and clothing did not come from the prisons. It came from outside. And there were people in the, the city of Philippi that were actually sending provisions for Paul. 
There's a dude mentioned a little later called Epaphroditus. He was actually the deliverer of this gift. And this is a letter of gratitude in a sense, but it's way more than that. And so what happens is he was grateful. He was saying, essentially, I know you were concerned about me. And I realize at the time you couldn't help me out. You couldn't do anything about it. But what's something that Paul didn't do here? He didn't complain. He did not complain. He's saying, I know you really wanted to help me out, and I know you couldn't do it, but, you know, now you're doing it. Thanks so much. You see, complaining kills contentment. Complaining is a big contentment killer. And instead, the opposite of that is we should be grateful. And Paul is expressing gratitude in this situation. So that's one application. If you're not content, are you complaining too much? Okay, let's look at another application. Uh, Down in verse 12. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Okay? Well, he's saying, I've had a little, I've had a lot. And one of the contentment killers is when you focus on having too little. My life would only be better if I had, and fill in the blank. If that is what your focus is, that is going to kill your contentment. And likewise, the other thing is, you know, and and some of us, most of us probably are like, well, you know, yeah, how, how could having too much kill contentment? Well, it actually does because when you, I mean, I've never had too much, but I'm told that people who have too much, you know, it's like, how much is enough? And I, I think it was a Rockefeller or a Vanderbilt, and he says, how much is enough? He said, more, because it kind of feeds on and you start to worry about. I mean, you know, just the other day, the stock market dropped and I watched my retirement go down. I'm like, you know. Um, it's, it's a concern, but anyway, listen, in Proverbs, you don't have to turn there, but if you might want to look it up later, Proverbs 30, eight and nine says this, says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. You see, it's so important that we realize that God has given us what we need for the present circumstances. And Proverbs there is saying, if I've got too much, I'm just going to be full, and I'm going to say, eh, who's the Lord anyway? And if I have too little, I might be tempted to steal and then profane the name of the Lord by my actions. So another contentment killer is extremes, having too much or having too little. Okay, verse 13, that's our verse. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Well, what's the opposite of being able to do all things. It's focusing on what you cannot do. And, you know, newsflash, we all have limitations. We all have things that we're better at. We all have things that we're not good at. We might have been dealt a a, a bad deck. We might have been, you know, I don't know. you, You know your situation. But when we dwell on the things that we cannot change, that is a big contentment killer when we dwell on the things 
that we cannot change. That can kill contentment. I read this. It says, the secret of living amidst life's difficulties is simple. Trusting God in such a way that you can say, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This does not mean that God will bless whatever a person does. And this must be understood within the context of this letter, with its emphasis on obedience to God and service to God and to others. You see that? See that? So how do you know when you fully trust God? I think when you can say, no matter what the circumstance, I can truly say, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That is the secret of contentment. Remember earlier it says, I've learned the secret? That's the secret. When you realize that your strength comes from the Lord. Okay? Another application, another contentment killer, and this is a big one today. Um, I, I, this is more of just an impression that I got out of this reading, but I think it speaks true. Comparison with others, right? Social media is a big one on that. You know, you're having a bad day and somebody's like, hey, I'm in the Bahamas, you know? And like, oh, you know, we, then we start to build up this whole thing and we start to compare, okay? Why is comparison so deadly? Well, comparison can lead to jealousy. And jealousy suggests that God owes you something. He gave that person a better lot in life than you. He did this for them. He didn't do it for you. And quite frankly, that's blasphemous because God does not owe us anything. God gave us Jesus who gives us the most important thing. But, you know, comparison is just, that's a rabbit hole. Don't go down that one. That is a huge contentment killer. Okay, Um, I'm not going to read this part, but you could just write the reference down, verses 14 to 19 here, right after uh, the thing. Um, This is where he's saying, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. This is where he's thanking Epaphrodites and the Philippians for bringing provision. And, um, you know, there is great joy and contentment in providing for another. Well, what's the contentment killer? Let's flip it over. I think the contentment killer is the opposite of that, which is stinginess. Stinginess. Um, When I was in high school, had a great opportunity to um, go on a canoe trip. Uh, We went up in the Adirondack Mountains. Uh, Myself, uh, I was in scouts, so there was like, I don't know, 10 kids and a couple of dads that went. And this was a 10-day canoe trip on the Fulton chain of lakes there. And they loaded us up with all the food for the 10 days at the beginning of the trip. And because this was, you know, I mean, yeah, we would go through some areas that were populated, but we would, you know, it was kind of a wilderness trip. So we had to actually take all our food with us. Now, without, you know, refrigeration, you're sort of limited in what you can take. That'll last for 10 days. So, you know, we had a lot of that freeze-dried food. We had this thing called Bolton Biscuits. To this day, I hope I never see a Bolton Biscuit again. 
we called them Bolton bricks because they were this thing. It was like a graham cracker that was as hard as stone. You would break a tooth if you tried to eat it. And we had all this other stuff. And so we're now a couple of days into the trip. And we're just like, oh, food and everything like that. Now, there was a kid on the trip who um, he managed to take a stash of candy on the trip. But he didn't want to share that candy with anyone because he was thinking, I got 10 days, da, da, da. And so what he actually did was at night, he would take the candy and he would put it in the bottom of his sleeping bag, okay? And he would just kept it there and he just kind of, but we, you know, listen, when you're in a small campground, you, you know, you know what's going on, right? And one of the things in the, anyone ever camp in the Adirondacks, okay? What's the big problem in the Adirondacks? Bears, okay, because bears, they get hungry. Bears have good noses. They smell food. And so what we had to do every night was we had to take all our food, even those Bolton bricks, which I don't think the bear would eat the Bolton brick, but I don't know. We would take all our food, put it in a sack, and then people would go up and tie a line between two trees really high, and then from the middle, we would have the thing go down so like raccoon or something you know if he went across the line he couldn't just shimmy across and then you know hop into the food sack and then we dropped it down so it was basically in the middle of nowhere we had all our food hanging there and um so the guide was a uh, a guy who was just a little older than me and we were we were friends and uh, you know we just started to talk about this kid that had the candy stash and the guide says, I got an idea. <laughs> and so at night, when we're all in our tents, he and I start to have a loud conversation. Oh. And he says, hey, Bob. Yeah, what? You wouldn't believe what happened last week when we were in this campsite. There was a group there, and this kid had food in his tent. And this big old bear came in and ripped the tent. And the kid, you know, he almost ended up in the hospital. And, oh, it was gruesome. And then after he said that, we stopped and we listened. And all of a sudden we hear a tent unzip, zip, and we hear boom. <laughs> the kid took his candy stash and threw it as far as he could. And then we retrieved it and shared it with the other kids the next day. This kid was stingy, but it's interesting because, like, you know, this had been going on, and then we finally did get to a place on the river uh, or a lake where there was a town, and so we pulled over for lunch, and my dad was on the trip, and so my dad grabs me, and he says, come on, let's go. So we went up, and we found a little small store there. My dad found a bunch of steaks, and he bought the steaks, and we came back, and, um, you know, we really didn't say much about it, but, you know, people are like, oh, what's that? Well, this kid, candy kid, he, he, he went up, and he said to my dad later on that night, he says, oh, Mr. Snyder, you and Rob are lucky, because you're going to have steak, and we have to eat this other kind of freeze-dried food. My dad looked him in the eye and said, John, this steak I bought 
for everyone. And see, he couldn't understand because he was looking at life through the eyes of stinginess. He could not understand why somebody else would not buy something to bless the whole group. That is a contentment killer, stinginess. And quite frankly, those who are generous toward God will find that he is generous towards them and supply their every need in Christ Jesus. The last contentment killer that I find in here is found in verse 20. It says this, well, 19 and 20, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The opposite of that is when we have an undue fixation on ourselves. That is a contentment killer when we focus on my wants, my needs, my desires. Because truly, if I can do all things through Christ, then who should get the glory? Not me, but God should get the glory. Now, contentment is not fatalism. It's not like, oh, whatever will be, will be. I'm not going to do anything. Contentment is not laziness. I mean, we are told to whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. But the key is, in this whole thing, is where does our strength come from? My strength comes from the Lord, from Jesus. And the ultimate source of contentment comes from knowing that you've been made right with God through his son, Jesus Christ. The fact that I am sinful and I have violated God's law, and yet God sent his son Jesus as a sacrifice, as a substitute on the cross for all of our sins. And if I trust in what he did, if we trust in what he did on the cross, we can be forgiven and we can be made in a right relationship once again with our heavenly father. That is the true source of contentment. So I hope this was helpful to take a look I, I hope maybe you have a better understanding of Philippians 4.13 now. Because as we said at the beginning, to understand the meaning, you need to examine the context. Now, just a couple of interpretive guidelines here. Um, you know, our Bible has chapters and verses in it. Um, newsflash, those weren't in the original. Okay, they were added later. So... As you're trying to find the context, don't get thrown off by like, oh, that's a different chapter or that's a different verse. Instead, what you should do is you should look for changes in thought. And sometimes you got to go forward and backward. And you'll see that the thought will change or maybe the place will change or the people that were there will change. And you'll be like, oh, this is a new thought. Okay. And then you always want to look at the most important thing is the immediate context. The immediate context is the most important guideline for determining the meaning. And the, somebody said this, the most common failure interpretation is to violate this most simple and basic principle. And this is the principle, the context must control. And then I read this. This was something that was addressed to pastors, but I think it is applicable to everyone here. But uh, they basically said this to pastors. They said to deliberately violate the context is more than shameful. It's sinful. 
for it is a deliberate substitution of one own words for the word of God. And so that's why I try to be very careful when I study the word, especially if I'm going to present it to you guys. I want to make sure I am not violating the context because I don't want to give you my opinion. You know, maybe it's okay, maybe it's not, but it's not authoritative. But what God has said is. So um, this is what I want you to do this week. Okay, I gave you a little assignment last week. Thanks for those who did it. Here's a chance to do another one. I'd like you to look at a verse that's often taken out of context. And I want you to explain the correct context and its interpretation. And I'm going to give you the verse this time. Because it's a, it's a verse that everyone has heard. In fact, it goes, judge not, lest ye be judged. Right? Everyone's heard that one. It's Matthew 7, 1. So write that down in your bulletins. And if you want to do it, I challenge you to try to find the context of that verse. Now, as a hint, you're going to need to read on a few verses ahead, you know, at least four or five of them, to find the context. And then once you find the context, then you can come back and find the correct interpretation of that. Because people have used that verse probably worse than they have the one that we looked at today. And um, if you email me what you found, I'll be happy to review it and I'll get back to you. And uh, so I want to close the message by saying this. Is your strength coming from the Lord? Is your strength coming from the Lord? So let's draw on his strength. And if we're practicing any of those contentment killers or maybe something else that I didn't even mention, I would encourage you to put that aside and to say the secret of contentment is to know that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength.